Welcome to another inspirational podcast at Real Life Church. For more great content and updates, visit reallifechurchkc.com. Day in our house because it is Mother's Day, and so we are celebrating not just mothers, but all the ladies, all the moms. So let me say again, Happy Mother's Day! And would you guys join me one more time in giving a hand to all of the ladies in our house today? You guys are awesome, and I love getting to celebrate this day with you. It's an honor for me to get to share with you something that God has kind of been stirring inside of me, and I want you to know today that God has a purpose and a plan for you. Um, I'm praying today that you will know and understand the love and the grace that God has for you, and um, I'm just believing God for big things today. I know that sometimes Mother's Day can be an emotional day. You know, a lot of us are in different places. This might be your very first Mother's Day as a mom. Everything is new and fresh and wow. Or it might be that you didn't really know your mom growing up and so this day comes with some heavy emotions and things and God has a purpose for that. You might be in a stage where you're chasing lots of little kids around the house Um, or maybe this is your first Mother's Day without your mom and I want you to know God has a purpose for that as well. Maybe you're getting ready to send your kids off to college. You know, that nest is starting to feel empty Um, or maybe you're in a place where you're just clinging to that hope of someday getting to become a mom God has a purpose for you. And maybe you're in a spot where you have some kiddos who are waiting for you in heaven. And today is one day closer to getting to hold them again. Um, Sorry, I don't know. I'm just, I was like, I wasn't going to cry until I saw that video with all those teenagers. And I was like, my kids are going to go to college next week. And I'm like emotional about it, but no. Um, But if that's you today, God has a purpose for you. And I want you to know that whatever your circumstances is, we love you. We honor you. And we are believing God for big things for you today. So like Barry said, we're in the middle of a really cool series called Playlist. I've been super encouraged by this because I love seeing how we're taking popular songs from the culture and pulling spiritual truths out of them. It's so cool to me that God has the answers that the world is asking through music, right? And so what's one of the coolest things we've been doing is that each week we've been dedicating the message to a certain group of people. So the first week Sean spoke and we did a song called A Million Reasons and he dedicated to that to people who feel like they're not enough. Um, The second week we did a song called Scars to Beautiful and that was dedicated to people who feel like they're less than. Last week Barry brought an awesome word to the song something just like this for those people who feel like they're less than also, you know, no superheroes and we talked about that. And so today anybody want to take any guesses about who this might be dedicated to? We're kind of pulling a theme here, right? It's dedicated to those, not just to moms and not just to ladies today, but this is dedicated to anybody who's ever felt like they're not enough. Anybody who's felt like they haven't measured up, anybody who said, you know what, I'm not good enough and I'm not going to be good enough, this message is for you today. So I'm really excited to announce today's um, topic by talking and sharing a few stories. Shameless plug, while I'm up here, you're going to be subjected to some pictures of my kiddos. So Everybody loves cute kids. Yay! There's, um, so we actually went down to visit Julia, our oldest daughter, who lives in Texas this last week, and she just had a baby. So that's baby Eleanor in the middle right there. Jack thinks her name is Baxter. We're not sure why. Um, but we had a good trip just getting to go and visit with her. And so Uncle Jack and Aunt Emery were really excited to meet the baby. And when we were driving down there, Sean drove like 90% of the trip because as he shared before in his words, I'm not a very good 
driver. Um, and now that I have the microphone, I would like to clarify for a moment. I'm actually okay at driving. I'm not great. I'm okay. But I'm really bad at parking. So there's my disclaimer for myself, not good at parking. Anyone else? Really bad driving, parking, spatial reasoning, not my gift. That's perfect. So while attempting to park in the past, we were thinking through and Here's like the short list of stuff I've ran into. I have hit basketball goals, I've hit trash cans, I've hit mailboxes, I've hit other cars, I've hit the walls of the parking garage at my work, I ran into a new car at the dealership while my car was getting serviced one time, um, I've hit tree branches on the side of the road, I have hit countless curbs. That is actually the purpose of curbs, if you didn't know, to let you know when you're getting too close to things you might run into. Um, but that's what they're there for, curbs, bumpers, protection for me. Um, but one time I even hit a no parking sign out in front of our house. So when we first moved to Belton, we lived on a Bellaray Boulevard and there's no parking on the street. So we were pulling into the grass and the driveway to unload as we were moving into the house. And so I pulled our car up there, we unloaded. I was backing out of the yard to go and pick up more things from our other house. And while I'm backing up, I see Sean out there and he's waving and he's like, hey! And I'm like, see ya, babe, hey! You know, just kind of living my dream. He's like, the sign! I'm like, looking, I'm like, what sign? He's like, the sign you just ran over. I'm like, there's not a sign back there. He tells the story, I was really mad. There's not a sign, what are you talking about? I don't get that mad, babe, it's fine, but. <laughs> So, so I was really mad. So look back. Turns out I had already hit the sign. It was bent over behind the car there. So, um, and of course, with perfect timing in my life, the Google Street View guy drove by literally that day, took a picture of it before Sean dug it out and threw it in the dumpster. Um, so we could remember for like the next five years that I had hit that sign. It was crooked there, so that was really perfect. Growing up, my dad actually threatened to rhino line my entire car, not just like part of it, because I think he was tired of doing the body damage that I was causing um, in different situations. So he's here, he can attest to that today. But one time in college, my parents graciously let me borrow um, my dad's almost brand new Dodge Ram truck. So I was getting ready to transition to a different stage in college and all of my stuff wouldn't fit in my hatchback Civic, so my dad decided to do swapsies with me for a couple weeks. I got to drive his nice shiny new truck and he got to drive my little Honda hatchback. It wasn't really a good fair deal. And he tells the story now that as he was pulling out of the driveway, he leaned over to my mom and said, we're never going to see that truck the same again. <laughs> so um, I made it to Texas in great time, though. I was cruising down the road in that nice truck, windows down, music was blaring. I was living the dream. I'm like 19, driving this brand new truck. I'm like, I'm a big deal, okay? It was really good. Um, and so I got there, made a great time, pulled in front of my dorm, which was on a one-way street. And so I'm like, I need to get somewhere close enough to unload some of my stuff, load some stuff back up, whatever. And the only choice was parallel parking. As you know, that was not a good choice for me. So I already knew I'm not going to parallel park this giant truck. But there was a little spot at the end of the road where I could kind of pull around and just unload my stuff and then move the truck to a different parking lot where there was more room. So I'm like, this is a great plan. So I pull up, I'm pulling up the street and I get right to the edge in front of this car and I get there and I hear this weird little scrape sound and I'm like, that's a weird sound, but I'm like, looking, I don't see anything. So smart me goes ahead and I'm just gonna keep on pulling around the corner and the plan. Well, that small scraping sound turned into a loud crunching sound while I'm pulling around that corner and then I finally had enough sense to stop and get out and see what had happened. So I got out, I got around the truck, it's still running and I mean, my heart dropped from here to like the pit of my stomach. I'm panicking, I'm looking. So that little scrape was the back door of the cab that had 
um, somehow found its way into a light pole because there was no curb. I had driven right over a handicap ramp onto the sidewalk, found a light pole, which was then leaning over sideways into the back quarter panel of my dad's shiny brand new red truck. So I'm like, oh my gosh. So the first, I was like, what do I do? I don't know what to do. I think I remember calling Sean. I think all I told him was I hit a pole and then he probably thought I was almost dead and I was like, I was just parking. It wasn't like that deep. But um, so I get there, this leaning here and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, well, the first thing I'm going to do is there's a lot of red paint on that pole. So I'm going to go ahead and move the truck now. So I don't also have to replace a light pole. So it was leaning for a while, but... No, this was after I was a Christian, so I can't blame it on that. Sorry, Baylor. I did give you a lot of other money, so you're probably fine. Um, but So I'm panicking. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid. Like, I just was given this thing, and I'm like, my parents are going to be so disappointed in me. Like, they're going to be mad at me. Like, I don't know what to do. And so the fear of what they might say or might think actually caused me to almost spend every dollar I had to try to fix and repair what had happened so that I could hide it. I was like, I'm afraid. I want to hide this. I don't want people to know what happened. And so um, I started like, you know, what am I going to do? I had a friend whose boyfriend worked at a body shop. So I'm like, maybe he can fix it for cost. Maybe I can pick up some extra shifts, but it's finals week. Like, I don't know what to do. Maybe I can, I can sell my kidney. You only need one. There's got to be some way I can figure out what to do with this truck that I've just destroyed. Literally on the day I borrowed it. Like, I didn't even take me that long. Like the same day I left my house, ran into a pool. So, and here's the final kicker of this exciting story is that my parents were getting ready to leave to go on vacation to Mexico for a week. And so I didn't have very much time to figure out what to do because I was either going to lie for a week and not tell them or I was going to ruin their vacation because parents wait until you move out of the house to take all the cool vacations. That's what I learned about when I was a kid. But uh, <laughs> um, So I knew what I had to do. So I called them literally. I think they were at the airport when I called, and that's probably to my benefit because, you know, when you're in a public place, you can't get that mad on the phone. So I called and I told my dad what had happened. And um, I'll never forget his response because it was almost the exact opposite of the fear I was playing in my head over and over again. You know, I could tell he was a little upset and probably frustrated that his truck was crashed. But what he said was, I'm glad you're okay and we can look at it when you get home. And so that voice of fear and shame and wanting to hide that from them was just that. It was in my head. It was a voice. It wasn't what was real because the voice of my dad and my parents who loved me and cared for me really had my best interest in mind. And so I want to challenge you this morning when we talk today that that voice that's in your head can do one of two things. It can either build fear into yourself or it can build faith in God. And the reason why that's so important is because when we have that voice of fear playing in our head over and over again, the fear paralyzes us. It causes us to do things that sometimes are even hazardous to us. It, you know, we tell ourselves the worst case scenario, but that's not the voice of God telling us those things. God gives us grace. God gives us the best case scenario. God doesn't say you have to prove yourself, and God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us forgiveness. You know, I never had a reason to doubt my parents. They always loved me. They cared about me. They were great parents. But I let that voice of fear make me afraid that in, for some reason in this instance, they weren't going to care about me. And maybe you came today and you also have one of those voices in your head. Maybe it's telling you, hey, you're not a good mom. You know, maybe that person will never forgive you. Maybe that kid's never going to turn around. Maybe you're just getting what you deserve. You know, that voice, it tells you, hey, you're not good enough. You're not going to be good enough. You might as well just give up. Um, and let's be real. How many of us today, when we're in trouble, the first thing we do is run to our dad? 
Nope, yeah, a couple of us, that's good. Sometimes that comes later in life. Like now I probably would. When I was 16, I probably wouldn't. I'd <laughs> be afraid. Uh, but most of us don't run to our dad when we're in trouble. And I want to challenge you today that that's the same thing that Satan wants from us. When we're in trouble, when we're hurting, when we're afraid, he's trying to get us to say, hey, don't run to your heavenly father. He doesn't care for you. He doesn't know what you're going through. He doesn't have your best interest in mind. But again, what you tell yourself and that voice in your head can either lead you to build fear in yourself or faith in God. And that kind of led me this idea to think about the song Shake It Out by Florence and the Machine, which is our song today. Um, It really kind of revolves around having this voice of regret and thinking about things that are in your past and stuff that's holding you back. And the line that really stuck with me is that it's hard to dance with the devil on your back, so shake him off. And I thought, what a cool idea for that voice in your head. You know, I can't do the things that God's called me to do to fulfill that purpose if I'm living with that devil on my back, always telling me the wrong things to do. So this morning, I want to take a look um, actually about the life of Jesus and see what did he do when he was faced with that voice, faced with temptation? Um, How did he respond during the hardest time of his life? So a little bit of backstory um, of Jesus' temptation. This actually happened to him right after one of the coolest moments of his life. So Jesus grew up, was a grown-up, and then he was like, okay, I am going to Sorry, I'm going to get this water and drink it for a minute. Um, But he started to say he was growing up and got to a point where he was ready to start his ministry. So he went to get baptized. And it wasn't just like, oh, God bless you, and then Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all this. Like, Jesus' baptism was a really big deal. So he went out to the Jordan River. John the Baptist was there, and this whole thing happened where all of a sudden Jesus was filled with the Spirit. The skies opened up, and the audible voice of God came down and was like, hey, this is my son. I love him. I'm well pleased. And all these people were so moved by God and the Spirit. It was like this super mountaintop experience that Jesus had when he got baptized. And the Bible says that he literally went from there and the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. And after he went 40 days without eating anything and probably without sleeping or resting, because how restful can that be, God, um, I'm sorry, Satan brought him three different temptations. Sorry. And so let's take a look at those temptations in Luke chapter 4. So starting in verse 3, the first temptation, the devil said to him, if, so I'm going to need you to say if, say if, if "If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. That's kind of crazy because if I hadn't eaten anything for 40 days, that would be a pretty difficult temptation, right? Like, hey, you're God. You actually can turn this to bread go ahead and eat. The next temptation, the devil led him up to the high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, and it has been given to me. I can give it to anyone I want. So if, if, I'm not good at that. Sean's better at it. I'm kind of dorky. It's fine. But if you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The third temptation, and these keep building. They're getting bigger. He's getting tempted with more things. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. And if... 
Yes, you guys are awesome. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. So now the devil's actually using the Bible back against Jesus, right? Satan's saying it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so you won't strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. You know what is the craziest thing about this temptation is one that Jesus, you know, was perfect. He was able to fight back this temptation. But every single temptation, the devil actually challenged Jesus's identity. You're asking, who are you? You know, if you're the son of God, why don't you do these things? If you worship me, why don't you do this? And I'm thinking about, you know, if you are, how hard is that challenge for Jesus to not go, well, yeah, here's who I am, clown, you know, like I'm going to do what I want. Um, But let's see what Jesus didn't do. Jesus didn't give a defense. And the reason is why, because he didn't have to defend something that was already done. Jesus didn't have to prove himself. The temptation in that moment is to actually want to do the miracle. When Satan's coming and saying, hey, if you're the son of God, why don't you do this? And Jesus, who had all the ability to do those things, could say, yeah, I'm going to do that. And Satan's looking for the miracle. And it's just like the voice in your head that says, you'll never measure up. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? What if your worst fears come true about this? What you tell yourself in that moment is either going to build that faith in God or build fear in yourself. So Satan was trying to get Jesus to do something spectacular, do something crazy, prove to me who you say you are, when really Satan already knew. He was trying to get Jesus to trip up in that moment and say, hey, I'm going to do this in my own strength instead of in my father's strength. The craziest thing to me is that Jesus had the ability to do all the things that Satan was asking him to do, but he knew it wasn't his responsibility in that moment. And so he has to stop and say, no, I know who God has called me to be. I know what I'm called to do right now. And so that's what I'm going to do this morning. And Satan is trying to get us to do the same thing. And I really want you to hear this this morning. Satan is saying to you, hey, why don't you pay for your own sins because you're not going to measure up? Why don't you hide? yourself from God and not run to him when you're in a struggle or a hard time? Why don't you go ahead and try to do those things you can do on your own apart from God's power because you don't need him in your life? And instead of running to God, Satan is telling us to run away from God and hide ourselves. And this is really, really big. I want you to get this today. Satan is asking us to do the miracle in our lives just like he was asking us to. But here is the best news ever because we don't have to do the miracle that Jesus already did 2,000 years ago on the cross when he died and he rose again. Satan is going to ask you over and over again, do this, do this, be good enough, be good enough. And Jesus said, I already did that. I already did that miracle. You don't have to in your life. Man, Jesus's response to the challenges are so impactful because he responded not with fear, but with faith in God. He responded and said, I know who I am and I know who God is and I know who he's calling me to be in this moment. And so this voice in my head, even though I'm tired and I'm hungry and I'm worn down, I know who God is and I know who he says that I am. In the same way, if you know who you are and you know whose you are, you're going to be able to stand up against that temptation and that voice in your head as well. Every step of the way, Satan was looking for the miracle. And every step of the way, Jesus said, no, I don't believe that lie. So what lie is Satan whispering in your ears today? What miracle is he trying to get you to perform today? 
So the song Shake It Out by Florence and the Machine is our song today, and it was actually written while she was hungover. I did some research kind of to see, you know, and I'm like, wow, if there's ever something you needed to shake off, that could kind of be the moment. But when interviewed about this song, I thought this was really cool because I didn't know this song that well, but it kind of fits perfectly in this idea. She talks a lot about having regrets and being stuck in this cycle of not being good enough and thinking about things in your past weighing you down and holding you back from what you're supposed to do. And she wrote it to actually create an anthem to say, hey, in that moment when you're stuck in that mindset, like, shake it out. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Get it off your back. Kick that devil off. You know, it has a sound that's kind of meant to be kind of mournful and remembering the sadness, focusing on those regrets, being stuck, um, and cutting some parts out of your life. But then it's also hopeful because it gives you this answer. If you want to get out of that voice, get out of that mindset, actually says things like, hey, sometimes I want to take this heart that's messed up and cut it out and start again, right? And it's funny that a song, you know, has that concept to it. And that's what Jesus says when he offers salvation to us. We have the opportunity not just to try to put a Band-Aid on and make it better, but actually stop, cut out what's wrong in me and restart new and fresh in him. Because that voice of fear in your head, it travels through there and it's going to keep saying, you're past, you're not good enough, all these things. And it sees your sin and just like the song says, it'll condemn you. It'll kind of keep you in a place you don't want to be. And so Shake It Out is an anthem, really. And that's kind of the idea of the practical part of this message, is that God is calling you to take a stand today, to stop beating the dead horse, as the song says, to stop holding on to unforgiveness, to stop looking at your past and make a choice today to shake it out. Um, And the reason why I just connected with this song so well is because most of my early life, I actually spent listening to the wrong voices in my head. I spent a lot of years doubting who God was calling me to be, and I spent a lot of time not even taking things that were true, but putting in my head and twisting those lies to play out that worst case scenario. I looked at myself through the lens of everyone else, um, and I let that voice in my head be one of fear and not being good enough. So as Sean has mentioned in the past, we met in marching band, and what he would say to that moment is nerd alert, And I'm here today to let you know that my nerdiness started a lot earlier than marching band because when I was in first grade, I joined the Girl Scouts. And so I started in Girl Scouts all the way from first grade through ninth grade. And I wish that I could say that we learned a lot of like really useful life skills like tying cool knots or navigating in the woods or, you know, safety or survival skills. But really, we spent a lot of time doing crafts, singing songs and doing community outreach projects. So I guess I'm still fairly okay at a lot of those things. So it was skills that I learned that I can use now. But... Um, It was a lot of fun, though. When I was in middle school, I even got to go to Girl Scout camp. So it's like take the nerd factor like one more step up. And so camp was actually kind of cool. You got to go away. We went down to the Lake of the Ozarks, which is fun. And we actually did get to do some cool stuff. We canoed. We camped. We cooked food. We hiked around. I actually got my Red Cross sailing certificate, so that was kind of cool. But you can imagine all of the drama and tears and just antics that come along with a very large number of like 11 to 12-year-old girls all together away from home at camp. And so usually, you know, we're having a great time. This is awesome. We're at camp. By the fourth day, everybody is like basically ready to murder themselves. We're like a little cesspool of like hormones and it's just really, it's not pretty. It's getting to an ugly place. And so what do we do for that? We combat. So like I said, we did a lot of singing. We sang songs when we walked to the cafeteria. We sang songs when we did chores. We sang songs when we did basically everything. We actually had different songs that we sang to say prayers before we ate. Everything was a song. So by night four, we're walking back from dinner and we are singing loudly. Me and a couple of my friends, I mean really loud, annoying. Any song we can think of, because we were staying in the campsite furthest away from the cafeteria. So you needed a lot of songs in that moment to kind of make it through the hike. 
Um, and one friend that was walking with us at that point, day four of camp, had just had it. And she snapped, and right in the middle of us singing some loud chorus to something, I couldn't even tell you what song, um, she just yelled, stop singing, your voice is terrible, nobody wants to hear you. And we're like, oh, okay, somebody's done singing songs today. So we stopped, and you know, we went ahead the next day, we went home from camp, and we just kind of did life as usual. Um, but what the crazy thing is, when I look back at my life, is those words didn't leave me. I let the voice of that frustrated 11-year-old girl speak into me, and for the next decade of my life, lived in fear to sing a note in front of anybody else in my life. And I really, at that point, I refused to say, you know what, I don't know if I'm gifted or not, I don't know if I'm terrible or not, but I'm too afraid for that rejection again, and so zero, zip. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to sing at church. I'm too afraid to try out for choir. I'm not going to lead happy birthday with my family. I'm not going to sing with my dad's band and go out with the family, because that fear of not being good enough was driving me to not use those gifts in any way at all. And it's crazy to look back and think about how much those words in that moment can affect you and then that voice start telling you you're not good enough to keep you from doing the purposes of God. And it did finally take a voice of encouragement. Sean forcefully made me go and sing a song in front of the youth group um, when I was in college and to overcome those fears. And even though I was so mad about it, um, I had to stop listening to that voice in my head. Now, what I recall now um, is that the fear is still there, but this idea of just having to shake it out and move to the next thing is so powerful. So we're going to share this song with you, Shake It Out by Florence and the Machine, and I'm going to do a little switcheroo here because I'm going to lead it. So it's going to be... now after all of that fear and singing this actually feels a little bit more comfortable <laughs> to be singing than speaking to you but regrets collect like old friends here to relive your darkest moments I can see no way I can see no way and all of the ghouls come out But I like to keep some things to myself I like to keep my issues strong And it's always darkest before the dawn And I've been a fool and I've been blind I could never leave the past behind I can see no way, I can see no way I'm always dragging my I am done with my graceless heart Tonight I'm gonna 
to say that the moment that I made that decision to stand up and do that, that it all got better. Um, you know, when I grew up and got married and graduated college and became a youth pastor's wife and had all these leadership positions, that those voices in my head just magically went away. Um, and sometimes it looked like on the outside I was living this full life, but it wasn't always the case. I was still untested. I was still insecure at heart, and I was still afraid of living to be who God had called me to be. And honestly, on Mother's Day, I can say that motherhood exacerbated that problem and didn't come with some magical fix to make me feel more like I even less and even worse. Um, and I started to see my life through the lens of the insecurities that were keeping me from doing what God had called me to do. And so at the prompting of, I don't even remember what, I read a book called Get Out of That Pit. And I was like, you know what? We're going to figure this out. And the book actually suggested to take down a pen and a piece of paper and every fear and insecurity that's in your life and write it down write them all out, every fear, every insecurity, every person, every circumstance that is keeping you afraid, that's keeping you from doing what you feel like you're called to do, and write them down. And then it gets worse. You take every fear that's on there and play it out to its farthest extreme. So what happens if my suicidal foster kid kills herself? What happens if my husband leaves me? What happens if we run out of money at the end of the month? What happened and take it all the way to that place, and then what? And what I learned is, at first, any of those situations played out, I'd be devastated. I'd be upset. It would be horrible. I wouldn't know what to do. And then the next step, I might be mad at God. I might be confused. I might, you know, be questioning why did this happen to me? And then I'd probably hit rock bottom because those are hard and heavy things that we worry about and are afraid of, right? But eventually I'd be desperate and I'd call out to God and I know that he would be there. 
And eventually I would learn to trust him again and have that faith in him. And I would get to a point where I could take that story and that fear and whatever it was that happened to me and I could use that to be an inspiration to somebody else. And ultimately my faith in God would end up being stronger. I'd be more confident and I'd be more ready to serve him. So the question I had to ask myself that day was, if the end game of any one of these fears is me trusting God, having confident faith in Him, and living my fullest to Him, why can't I just decide to do that today? Why do I have to wait through that process and do those things and those fears are holding me back when today I can choose? So I did. I decided. I said, you know what, God? Today is the day. I'm putting a stake in the ground. No matter what happens, I'm going to trust you. And it didn't happen overnight. It was a process. But God really used that moment to start replacing that fear with choices to live for him. And so he really showed me the power of how important that voice in your head is. So I'm gonna give you two quick, really practical ways to move from fear to faith. And the first one is to realize who God says you are. This is key because if you don't start from a position of a God who loves you and cares about you, it's really easy for those fears to take over. And I want you to see in Isaiah 43, what God says about you. It says, but now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. Israel, the one who formed you, don't be afraid. I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. I want you to see that. He says, I made you. I formed you. I ransomed you. You are mine. And whatever you're walking through today is not going to take you down because you are mine and you have got to take that truth and you've got to inscribe it on your life. There's a psalm that says that God has your name inscribed on his hand and that's sometimes what you have to do. It has to be on your bathroom mirror and your car dash. It has to be in your ears when you're listening to music. If you have to tattoo it on your arm, please do. Remember that you are God's and he loves you and whatever it takes to get that ingrained in you, do it. And the second one sometimes seems a little trite, but it's something that we just have to do and it goes like this change. That's it. Realize who God says you are and then change the way you think. Romans 12 2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That's how God works in you. He changes you by changing you up here. And then all of a sudden, you become more like him. God is in the life change business. And when you decide, I'm going to make a change for you today, God, he's going to honor you in that process. How do you do that? It's hard, <laughs> but it can be done. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says that though we live in a world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And that's what that fear is, right? It's a stronghold holding me back from what God has for me. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It doesn't say that we, you know, put those thoughts away or we just try to tame them down or whatever. Take it captive, get rid of it, get it out of there. And through all of these fears and failures and all the stuff that I've gone through in that process, God gave me a verse that ended up being my life verse. I probably should tattoo it on my arm because I had a necklace, but Emery sucked on it and it broke. And so, you know, part of that mother's life. But it's in Proverbs 31, 25. Um, and it says that she is clothed with strength and dignity and she laughs without fear of the future. And I want that to sink in for a minute because when you really break that down, being clothed with strength is not the opposite of weakness, but it's being able to embrace that vulnerability of who God made you. And being clothed with dignity is the exact opposite 
of living in insecurity. I have that power and strength because of who God made me. And laughing without fear of the future is a huge one because if you're stuck in that grind of that fear in your mind, God's got this. He's got you and you don't have to be afraid about what's to come because he loves you and he cares for you. And that was it for me. How crazy is it that the word of God has the exact answer for what it was that I was struggling with and God brought that to me. So today, I wanna encourage you to make a choice to drive a stake in the ground, to shake out that fear, that insecurity, that pride, whatever it is that's holding you back from doing what God's called you today and make a stand today. You have to drive a stake in the ground because really, especially as mothers, parents, the future generations are counting on us to do that. You know, and I have this in here because this is my why. This is why it's so important for me to not listen to that voice of fear, but to have the faith in God that these future generations are gonna borrow the faith that I have and they are gonna lean on me and go further and farther than I've ever gone in faith because they can borrow it from me. And even when it's hard and Satan's gonna whisper in your ear and he is, it's okay because you are who God says you are but he's given you the opportunity today to change the way you think. So even today when I feel less than, I'm not gonna give into that lie. When I feel like running from God, I'm gonna run to him because he is the answer to that. Not living a life full of fear, but fully embracing and living a life of faith in God today. So let's pray. Father, we love you. I pray today that we don't see ourselves as less than, but we see us as you see us. Help us to live by faith and change the way that we think today. And as we pray today, there might be those of you who would say, I believe God's speaking to me. I've struggled with feeling less than, I've struggled with fears and insecurities, but today you say, I realize I'm who God says I am. I'm loved, I'm enough. And if that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand right now? Raise up your hands and say, I know I'm enough in God. God, this just breaks my heart. There's so many people who have bought the lies of Satan. We've tried to outperform miracles outside of you. Help us to see us like you see us. You created us, you formed us, you called us, equipped us, and you love us. And we are enough in you. We don't have to look like everyone else, God. You see us, you love us, even when we don't love ourselves. And help us to change the way we think to add value to others. Speaking words of life today. And as we keep praying across the room, God, we know there's many in here who maybe are beginning to realize they've been living life apart from you, God. There's areas of our life that we're ashamed of, people we've hurt, things in our past that we've tried to shake off, but the scars can't seem to move past it. Well, I wanna give you some good news today because you don't have to be good enough for God. As a matter of fact, it's impossible. And Jesus loves you in this moment just the way you are. You don't have to fix yourself. You don't clean up your act. You don't look the part. Today, you're enough for God because he sent his son, Jesus, for you. No matter what you've done, he loves you. He carried his cross for your sins and took your scars. We didn't earn it and we don't deserve it, but by his scars, we're healed. And he wants a relationship with you to give you access and forgiveness to his and grace today. The Bible says anyone, even you, that calls on the name of Jesus will be saved and forgiven and completely made new. You're not here today on accident. God brought you here. Why? because he's reaching out to you so you can say yes to the unlimited grace of Jesus as a sinner in need of forgiveness. He'll make you brand new. And those of you who need to say yes to Jesus, when you call on him, he forgives you, makes you brand new. So all across this room today, if you're saying, yes, I need Jesus. Yes, I need his forgiveness. I need his grace. Today, I want Jesus. If you would just lift up your hand high today and say, Jesus, I'm calling on you. You can raise that hand and say, Jesus, I trust you. You're mine, you've made me, you know me, you love me, you want me. I trust in you today. Wow, that's so awesome. We've got some hands, I see your hands. 
Jesus is so excited today. They say that there's a party in heaven for any sinner that comes to Jesus. So if you would, let's give a big round of applause to those who've raised their hands to accept Jesus this morning. I'd like to invite you guys to stand one more time. Let's worship big. Let's worship loud. Let's stand and sing one more time about the God who can do it again, no matter the circumstance. He is here for you. Let's hear it for him and praise him big this morning.